listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for late March, right past the Ides of March. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not that big old Star Wars arcade game that you can only play at Dave and Buster's. Oh, wow. I, I'm trying to get, like, a feel for what that game Trying to remember what that game was. I, it's got a name, and I can't. I don't. I should have looked up the name, but oh. it's it's like a, an arcade chair that you sit in, and it's got like a Death Star trench run and a Battle of Hoth, and it's got three screens in front of you. Yeah. I don't know the name of it, and I'm sure it costs like five dollars for a two-minute playthrough. Well, my name is Matt Peckham, and my game of the week is not Mario Tennis for the Virtual Boy. <laughs> wow. Those are uh, pretty obscure non-games of the week from both of us. Uh, yeah. uh, Matt Peckham, you're here from Time.com. Um, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm a little jet-lagged, I, so I don't know what I'll sound like here. I, I, I was, I'm back in Iowa now, northeast Iowa, but I was obviously in San Francisco, and then they, my flight out last night was delayed like four hours so I got into Minneapolis, and I was going to drive. That's where I flew out of, and I ended up having to stay over, and I am sort of sort of hallucinating, I don't know, right now, that I'm home. Am I really here? <laughs> I think that that's good, because now we're going to get like this. Uh, you're, there's going to be some uh, extreme candor from you, I hope, because you don't have filters in, in place to, to monitor what you say. You're just going to be talking. Good. That's right. You're, we'll catch you off guard, <laughs> Matt Peckham. Because, by the way, that's where you were all week. You didn't show up to hold your place in line for the first screening of Superman v. Batman next week. Oh. We were like, where's Matt Peckham? We've got to maintain this 24-7. So we're the first ones into the screening. You didn't show up. Two guys showed up and got in front of us. I hope you're happy. Oh my God. You've seen it? Have I know. you seen it, Tom? No. Oh. We have to. No. I, I see, no. <laughs> no. I, I, yeah. That's going to be – I don't want to detour into you know, that. I'm sure you'll do that on the movie podcast. But, uh, yeah, I wonder what that's going to be like. Oh, I, I, I honestly couldn't care less about that okay. thing. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same uh, Bat- place on that. Yeah, Batman fighting Superman is a non-event because who, there's no contest there. Superman would win. I mean, wh- I, why are we even you, posing this? You fight? haven't read – oh, okay. You haven't read Frank Miller's The Dark Knight, so you don't know what, what Batman – or do you? Have you read it? No. Why, why okay. would I read a comment? <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's, a, there's uh, a way. It's, it's, no, there's, as, as I mentioned on the, our movie podcast – this would be the equivalent of having a fight between a shark and a very determined chicken. Not much of an event. But you know what, Matt Peckham? We have bigger fish to fry on this podcast. You have been subjected to what I feel is an extended dog and pony show from people who have a vested interest in the latest boondoggle succeeding. Uh, I might perhaps be uh, interjecting a little bit of my own opinion into that that description of what you just did. But tell us what was all the rage at GDC this year. Oh, gosh, let's see. What could it be? I have to to think about that one a little bit. Everyone, I'm sure, is talking about, yeah. (laughs) Have you... Let's see, Copas. Have you, you, by the way, have you tried this thing that was all the rage? Uh, Have you ever had it? Have you tried to try... Have you been able to try it in its um, 21st century incarnation? I have indeed had one of those goofy things slapped onto my noggin. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, that's, this is important yes. because one of, one of the things that I took away from the conference was that if you can't, or rather I cannot, I do not have the wordsmithing superpowers to convey what it's like <laughs> 
to put one of these things on for better or worse. It's just one of those things that you have to try. And, um, I, do you believe that by the way? Because I, you know, I've heard the same thing. So you can't really judge it or certainly the, the subtext of people saying this is you can't dismiss it until you try it. If you're dismissive of the technology and you haven't tried it, well, you just don't know. Uh, do you buy that line of reasoning now that you have gone from not trying it to trying it? You know, I, I, you know, I, I do. I think I do because I mean, I had tried. So I had tried PlayStation. Well, I'm going to give it away. Here it comes. Virtual reality. I've tried. I had tried PlayStation virtual reality like two years ago. The E3 that we first met at the California Pizza Kitchen. Um, I had tried PSVR at that show, and it was so crude and it was so uninteresting at that point that I just I kind of dismissed it. And then I tried it at, at GDC. I tried everything at GDC. Uh, the Rift for eight, nine hours straight at one, one event. The, uh, the, the Vive in multiple events. The HTC Vive, which is the Steam VR uh, alternative on the high-fidelity, high-price side of virtual reality. Uh, I tried the Gear VR with uh, Minecraft, which is on the low-end side um, and is currently available for the $100 headset you stick a phone in. And, uh, and I tried the uh, Razer... OSVR, the open source VR thing that is not, it, it's a conceptual thing they're doing. It's not a product yet. There's no release date. There's not even a commitment to release it. But it's Razer's, uh, you know, take in the open source VR space, which is an interesting concept because they're trying to kind of get around the uh, the proprietariness of, uh, like, the Oculuses to say VR is, is, is too big to contain, you know, for one company to sort of contain. But, sure. but to answer, I'm sorry, I got, got a feel there. To answer your question, I I do. I think that I think the reason, and I'm going to use a buzzword, and I I encourage you to shoot this buzzword full of holes. Can I guess, by the way, what the buzzword Please. is? I don't want to sidetrack. Can I guess what you're going to use the buzzword immersion? I am not. Actually. Oh, okay. Give but me that's a, a good, different that's buzzword. A, that's a that's not a bad one. I'm going to use the buzzword that I keep seeing pop up: presence, presence. Oh, right, right, right. So. Sure. That's that's a that's a more uh, Matt Peckham. That's a more. Uh, kind of touchy-feely, mystical way to say immersion. Yes, yes it is. It is actually a, probably you look it up in the thesaurus and it's uh, it's there, so, <laughs> yeah. But to be fair, so give me, how is that word being used and, and how is it relevant? Like, because I'm kind of being facetious, I understand what people are getting at when they say presence, because you can talk about immersion with Skyrim, for instance. Um, you can't talk about necessarily presence in the way it's being used with VR. So explain this buzzword and how it relates to whether or not you can really understand what VR is without trying it. Okay, yeah, and I'll try here. I'm, I'm still working out how to talk about this myself, but I think, I, I think the way it's intended and certainly the way I experienced it when I, when I, when I was experienced, I didn't experience it in all, in all cases, but because VR is one of these things that developers are trying to figure out how do we, some developers are trying to figure out how do we write games to the medium, you know, to take advantage of what it does right now, and then others are trying to take existing concepts and, and stick VR around it, and that's a whole different different thing. But where where they're trying to create an experience that is um, to take advantage of, of what the what the headset can do today, it feels like you're ahead in a box. And what does that mean? If you could stick your head in a in a in a in a, in a virtual world that was you know was a box. Um, and it was really just your head. I mean, you know, you have some of these VR headsets let you interact with the gamepad, so there's that indirect, and then some of them have this touch interface where you have sort of two virtual hands that are kind of, you know, you can kind of do some finger pinching maneuvers. But most most of the experiences around the head and the and the eyes, it's it's the it's the sense that the objects that are around your head 
are exist, that they um, are actually there, that you can place your head up next to them, you can move your head around them, you can see the, 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 the bevels and the contours, and something happens, I think, um, I don't know, maybe somebody smarter somewhere, some neuroscientist can, can tell us what's going on psychologically, but for me, something happened there where my brain, in a way that's never happened with anything else I've ever done before, started to believe that those things really were there. And, and then became fascinated, not even with playing the game, which we can get to talk about this. It's, this is a problem. Distraction in VR is a major problem. <laughs> because you're, here you have a game that you're supposed to be playing, and you're so distracted by the novelty of being in, in a world that's sort of flipped your, 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 uh, your visual cortex um, and tricked it so completely right. that you're just obsessed with, with looking at things. So that that's the sense of, uh, uh, for me anyway, what presence means at this point. It definitely takes away, we were so accustomed to having our, our head in a screen, even if you've got like that goofy Star Wars arcade machine and you've got three screens that wrap around, we're used to seeing a boundary at that screen, a border. Uh, we're used to, if we turn our head or whatever, if we look away from the screen, it's not there anymore. And to take away those borders where everywhere you look is whatever you're supposed to be experiencing, that is completely different from seeing something uh, conventionally, isn't it? It is, yep. And it, it is, I think it's partly just the fact that, it, that there are such subtle things, like I'm sitting here in my chair and looking at like a, you know, an armoire in front of me, and I just move a couple of inches left or right, right. and the entire perspective you know, shifts, and, and my brain says that's there, that exists. That's right. now happening in VR, and you can stick your face you know, an inch away from the thing that you're looking at. Like if there's a live creature down here, like in Lucky's Tale, there's like a little conquer-like, um, you know, animal. And it's, you know, and you stick your head down by, by the animal and the animal notices suddenly you're there. They programmed it to, to detect your presence in the box and react to you and you, it's startling. I mean, it's creepy almost in a way because you're like, wait, that thing knows I'm here. <laughs> so. Well, let's talk real quick. So you mentioned the players, PlayStation, Oculus, uh, Steam's... Uh, Vive thing. Vive? Vive? How do you say the Steam thing? I'm used to reading the word. I say Vive. Maybe it's Vive. Vive. I, I don't, don't trust me, though. I'm saying... Wait, you, you put one on your head. Did the person who put it on your head not, not teach you how to say the, <laughs> the, the product name? No. <laughs> I'm, a bad, I'm a bad listener, probably. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I like Vive. You know, I'm well, going to go with Vive, even if they say it's Vive. Vive. Yeah, you know what? Vive makes more sense. Like Revive or, okay, uh, Vivacious, sure. Uh, there's the now I don't know this gear thing with with Minecraft. What what is that that lower end thing you mentioned? Can you tell me briefly about that? Yes, and this is interesting. You may find this really interesting because John Carmack was at this event. Okay, so there was an event mm-hmm. to demonstrate Minecraft on uh, the Samsung Gear VR. So you have to have a Samsung high end phone. I think it's like the S7, um, the S series phones that fit into this Gear VR. Gear VR is using Oculus technology by which I think. They essentially just mean the uh, the molding and the lenses and such. But you stick a phone on the back of the Gear VR, and then uh, the, the lenses ref- refract the light and, and create the illusion of sort of stereoscopic VR without a cable. There's no, you know, you're doing everything based on the phone itself. So you don't have a cable running over your head, down your back. Um, and, then, and then you're using um, a game pad. In this case, I think it's like a, an M5 controller. It's that wireless standard for phones. No, no, wait, that's Apple's standard. I'm getting that wrong. Anyway, it's a wireless controller. It was uh, uh, just a gamepad. Just think a gamepad, wireless gamepad. Mm-hmm. And um, what, they've, what they've done is they've, they've just they've 
they've taken Minecraft and made it a, a VR experience. It's going to be coming out, I think, in the spring. Uh, it's also already available, going to be available for Rift in the spring, but this was the first time they showed it off for the Gear VR. What's cool about it is they had us all sitting in swivel chairs, so I, to the extent that this takes off, there's also going to be, you know, put your money in swivel chairs, Tom, because... <laughs> you're going to see a lot of those things purchased because you can do 360s in a swivel chair well it makes it really easy you don't want to stand up with VR on by the way you will fall down often or run into things so what do you do you sit in a chair you put on the, the, this uh, uh, Gear VR headset you boot up Minecraft or Minecraft's already booted up now you're able to move through you know standard Minecraft which looks good by the way in VR because VR is a lower res thing at this point and Minecraft is a by nature, a, a pixel, you know, block art, whatever you want to call it, game. So it looks really good. Um, it, it meshes, it works with the with the medium's limitations. And then you can play it with uh, the, the, the GUI just... You've played Minecraft, I think, right? Yeah, so the GUI is uh, just the inventory bar kind of sort of floats out in front of you at the bottom. Um, but, okay, so the interest... Well, do you, I don't want to keep talking here if you have any questions about that, but then I can tell you the interesting thing about... Well, they just go down the players. So is this Samsung then? Uh, is this their proprietary VR? This is Samsung's, yeah. Samsung and okay. Oculus. Um, and so Samsung, uh, it only works with uh, Samsung phones, I believe. So it's, it's the Samsung Gear VR, and you stick the phone in the back, and, and anything that supports VR um, on, in that environment then works with Gear VR. Right. And then uh, Razer is, you mentioned, their open source uh, VR that they're, they're pursuing. So th- these right now are the big players, right? These are the big players, yep. These are the and they're, they're all trying to sell uh, hardware for the most part, of course. Uh, now, as, as we know as gamers, hardware is only as good as the software that is on it. Um, that's driven, you know, we're, we're aware of that through console systems, through, you know, the PCs that we build. We, we build hardware for whatever games we can play on it. You get Battlefield 4, and you're like, oh, i got to update my video card. So we're well aware that the hardware is only as good as the software on it. Which of these companies is really – so you mentioned uh, Minecraft for Samsung and Oculus. That's a big selling point uh, software-wise. Which of these companies also has that kind of pull in terms of software you can use, or do any of them? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, they're all launching. Let me see here. Let me just grab my list here. They're, I think Oculus is launching with 30 titles, I want to say. And then they've got another... Uh, I'm going to get these numbers wrong here. Um, they're uh, they're going to launch with like as many more um, by the end of the year. They're going to have as many more by the end of the year. And, and HTC is launching with a, with a number of titles. Uh, but are, is the question you're asking, are any of those titles like must-have or... Yeah, exactly. Like, is there a killer app? Like, you know, people would buy Xboxes because they could play Halo on it. Is there anything like that that you feel is pushing from behind these these pieces of hardware? There is no Super Mario 64. There is no thing that I think ultimately proves the concept in a way that is sort of like cross-demographic and and, and everything. No, no, there's... Well, here, here we go. So John Carmack is really behind it. Uh, that sort of lends it for a lot of people some some gamer cred. Uh, can you name any developers for me who are developing for VR that that g- makes you excited? Oh, let's see. Um, I think uh, you know CCP, and this is you know we've known about Eve Valkyrie for a long time, but I'm a flight sim guy, so I got a chance to do a bunch with Eve Valkyrie, and that was actually. 
surprisingly awesome. Um, I was I was really into it. I was surprised. I didn't think I would be because it seems so obvious and kind of mundane in a way. It's like, oh yeah, great, we're going to do you know a flight sim in VR. But once you're in that environment, uh, and it's a big one. It's a, it's a launch title. It's I think it's bundled with the Rift. It's going to come bundled with the Rift. So they're they're um, you know they're really they're really sort of getting behind it as as a launch title. Um, let me think if there are any other ones. I didn't get to try Adrift, so I I've, I I failed on that. But I, that's one that um, that I'm excited about. That I think could you know could be a could be a breakthrough title. Lucky. So what is it? What is Adrift? Adrift is that. Uh, What's the what's the space what's the uh, what's the space movie? Help me, Tom. I'm forgetting gravity. 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 It's it's essentially a gravity like uh, adventure where you're floating through uh, a derelict space station, a, sta- a station that's been damaged. You're not exactly sure why, and you're sort of trying to find your way um, through. And it's it's Adam Orth, and uh, the developer is three one zero. So I don't okay. know if you've seen that one. In, in, do we do we know Adam and three one zero from anything else, or this is their this this is how people know them at this point? Adam Orth was with Microsoft. He was he was the guy who who was was talking back in two thousand thirteen about about um, uh, Xbox One DRM, and uh, was I think he was trying. I don't want to say he was apologizing for it, but he was trying to explain. Oh it. right. And he got into big big trouble on social media and ended up resigning. Right. And then he went off and. Uh, Form this company and then you know, created. So a, a disgraced former uh, Microsoft employee is, yeah. is, is making this space thing. Right, right. I do remember that. Uh, well, I guess what I'm what I'm wondering, Matt, is r- right now we have different people pushing different hardware. Uh, there are different developers uh, aligned with different hardware. Isn't a big danger right now that none of these is going to get any critical mass because none of them has any real software pull. Like you have different companies working for different hardware, it's going to be a fractured market. Uh, like somebody is going to buy an Oculus Rift, but then there's going to be something that only works on Steam's VR, uh, oh, right, right. or the PlayStation is going to have their exclusives. Um, without one of them having critical mass, the market is going to be pulling in like, it looks like four different directions at this point. Yes. Uh, and isn't that a big danger? I, I think it, I think it's I think it's a I don't want to call it a non-starter. Uh, I don't think it, 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 it's that level, but I think that we're definitely not looking at um, the Wii with these VR solutions. Not right. even with with PlayStation VR. And I'd like to think that that's that everybody's going to carry that message forward because that's the I mean that's what everybody was talking when when I would talk to people at GDC. That's the sense I was getting from developers. I mean, I just asked the developers, "What do you think? Is this you know Are you going to advance you know?" Trying to get a sense: Are you going to evangelize for this thing, or are you going to level with me? And they all they all leveled with me. No one's expecting this generation to be the generation that is. You know, I mean, let's let's go through the prices. Um, Rift is going to be six hundred dollars, and it's going to include the Xbox One gamepad and a couple bundle titles. But it, it isn't going to have the Oculus Touch controls. The Touch controls will ship in the second half of 2016. Who knows what they'll cost? They're gonna. They're those. They're they're the controls. You hold one in each hand, and then they allow you to sort of move your hands around as opposed to just use a gamepad. So Oculus is six hundred plus plus plus, with uh, with with no s- definitive standout must-have title. The HTC Vive is going to be more expensive. It's it's uh, eight hundred dollars. Um, yeah, isn't that crazy? Now it will it will come with the the uh, 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 what are they called? The Vive Vive controllers, which are like the uh, Oculus Touch controllers. I mean, they're their own thing. They have their own sort of unique spin and take. 
But $800, and uh, I should back up here, for, for Oculus and uh, Vive, you have to have somewhere in the vicinity, if you're building from the ground up, $1,000 PC. You need a 970 right. GTX minimum to uh, to really experience VR the way it's meant to be experienced. So we're, we're, we're in at least $1,500, $1,700 here, $1,800. You have Sony's PlayStation VR, which is going to be $400, but it doesn't come with the, the necessary camera. It's necessary to have a PlayStation camera and the PlayStation Move controllers, which they've just announced, I think, today that they will sell those as a bundle with the PSVR headset for a total of now $500. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, let's see, the Gear VR is is in a different league here, but that's that's $100. That's already out. And then uh, the OSVR stuff I'm talking about, that's another conversation maybe for a little later in the podcast, but that isn't going to be available. There is no price. We don't know what's going to happen there, but that is about the open sourcing of virtual virtual reality to um, accommodate what the guy I talked to in that, in that area said is just the utter range of VR peripherals that will be showing up over the next two years, we're going to see just a barrage of VR-related headsets and peripherals and, and, and things that are going to hit us. And, and so OSVR and the open source thing is an attempt to uh, prevent us from having a balkanized VR <laughs> market. Right, right. So, right. Uh, so at, at GDC then, because uh, I think the takeaway from GDC for a lot of folks was this is the "quote unquote" next big thing, right? Yes. Uh, what uh, describe a little bit for me the atmosphere? Like, what what was it like going to GDC and having everybody want to talk about VR? Okay, this is yeah, this is a great question um, because I, I I have to confess something here. This was my first GDC, <laughs> so this was good. It was a good thing that it was my first GDC. I mean, I've covered them remotely, but never attended in person before. So I'm there. And in its nuts, everywhere you go, uh, everywhere I went, you know, north, south, west, all of the, the, the suites, the hotels, any of the private demos, there were people sitting quietly with, you know, VR hats on their head and just moving and, and just quietly moving in space. And, and, and it was very, it was kind of eerie. Um, and then also busy. The lines to try these things were, were incredibly long. And what I heard over and over again from every developer that I visited was, this GDC is nuts. It's like E3 this year. I mean, not as intense and crazy as E3 gets, but but heading in that direction. And so they were. Everybody was, and I think everybody was kind of caught unaware. This was the first year that uh, a GDC they they held their inaugural inaugural VRDC Virtual Reality Developers Conference. That was a parallel conference occurring, I think, on the 14th and 15th alongside GDC, focused just on VR, and. Uh, I, well, okay, put it this way. The, the, right when I got there on Sunday, or maybe it was Monday morning, I got a note from, uh, in my GDC app saying all the VR stuff was going to be over here, but we've completely moved it to a different you know, place because we, didn't, we don't have enough room. There's not enough space. So they relocated at the last minute all the VR stuff, and then the, the conference was, it was a it, GDC kind of sort of stepped, stepped aside, and this was the VR. It's just VR everywhere. So crazy. Uh, but- so as a real quick aside, um, I've been to GDCs before. Uh, it's really cool going to like developer talks, uh, listening to people sort of dive in depth to what part of game development they do. They'll take Q and A. Did you get to see much stuff that wasn't VR related, or did this kind of overwhelm everything? 
Yeah, so so I was the only guy there from time, so I focus. I had to focus on VR in a sense because that was my directive. I detoured and and went to see Project Setsuna, which I think is now called I Am Setsuna, out of personal interest. It's kind of a JRPG um, uh, by Atsushi Hashimoto, who's worked had worked on, or it's it's done in the style of Chrono Cross. Um, went 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 and had a chance to talk to him. I'm trying to think if there was anything else. I don't think there was. I. But for the most part, I guess because of your job, you just had to look at the VR stuff. Okay. And I felt bad about that, by the way, because uh, there, there were there were there were some awesome sounding talks. I mean, you've given talks yeah. there before, I think, Tom, right? Not really. I've like moderated panels. Um, but yeah, no, there, there. That's a, it's an, you know, going to GDC. There are very few talks that I look at. So the the label talks like here's a super in depth one for programmers. Those are way over my head. I've made the mistake of trying to sit in on those before. But anything that's not that that tech level, like that close to the software, uh, I find fascinating. Um, I remember listening to one of the Thief developers talk about how they they created the idea of stealth, and they basically invented it. Uh, and I didn't. I had no idea what I was walking into. It was just okay. This is a guy from Looking Glass. I'm just going to sit in on this, and it was fascinating. I remember a guy from Bungie talking about, in Halo, the difference between balancing and tuning in terms of their weapons, things like how much damage a uh, a, a different gun, does, like the sniper rifle does versus the assault rifle. Uh, so I just love that kind of nuts and bolts talk from developers. That, to me, is the big value of GDC. And I'm disappointed to hear that it's now being used as kind of an RE3-equivalent marketing push uh, all these dog and pony shows uh, for VR, that, that's kind of disappointing to hear, but expected. Well, well, let me, know, GDC, okay. well, previously, GDC used to not have, like, press was allowed. The press wouldn't cover it. They wouldn't care about this. It was for developers. Uh, and it's been increasingly a press-oriented event, which I, I think is a little disappointing. No, that's a fair point. And, and I think, you know, I mean, let me, I should probably, to be fair to anybody that is a developer at GDC and was at GDC, Listening to this, all that stuff was still going on. I mean, like I'm sitting here looking at the GDC pamphlet that they give you, and there are there are hundreds and hundreds of of, uh, of sessions and talks um, that were being done that were not VR specific. There were there were lots of game related there, there was game related news and game demos and things going on that were not right. VR. But I think that from a, the, the media standpoint, like if you tuned into the news for the last three or four days and you were checking the tech section in G News or you know wherever you get your news from, it was it was all VR all the time. Right. right. And I do think that, yeah, yeah, that dominated for sure. So, all right. Uh, so, so, Matt, you've written a couple of pieces for time. At this point, I get the impression, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're on board with this. <sighs> I think I'm on board with this. <laughs> I'm, I, Interesting. I all think right. I'm on board with this. I, I had moments, you, you have to say, I, you sound, you, you even sound reluctant to admit it. I... I'm 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 waffling a little bit and I don't want to waffle. Um, let me think. Uh, I, I had moments, Tom Chick. I had moments where where um, I didn't have I didn't have moments where I was where I was crying inside the headset, which would be a problem, by the way, because you can't get to your to your eyes. <laughs> yeah. What if what if like what if you you have a scratch on your eyebrow? Like what if your eyebrow really itches? That happened to me. Oh God, that happened to me in a multiplayer game that I was playing where it was critical that I not. Take the headset off because I was be, I was dependent upon. In fact, I actually had to capture the flag thing, and I had the flag, the equivalent of the flag. And boy, I had an itch that I wanted to scratch. So, what happens? Uh, you're in trouble. 
There, there aren't, there are yeah. no inside, there, there aren't like little hands yet inside to come out and scratch the itch for you. There aren't eyeball wipers to kind of, you know, like windshield wipers to clean your eyes. Well, and I'm only half joking, but part of the problem, and one of the reasons I'm a big naysayer, and I'll be curious how or whether you can get around this, uh, as a technology, as a way to experience entertainment, it's so intrusive. Um, it, it, it gets – like we constantly have people developing new ways to experience entertainment that sit sort of seamlessly between us and what we're experiencing. One of the problems with 3D, for instance, nobody wants to wear glasses. Uh, a big push there was trying to get it to work without glasses. Uh, yep. when, when you have to wear a headset where you can't scratch your face, uh, where a lot of people might experience motion sickness, where there are issues with putting traversal in the game, where how can you expect someone to hold a gamepad if they can't look down every now and then and make sure they're pressing the right button? Uh, it's just so intrusive. Yeah. Uh, and, and I feel that's a huge liability. I, I I got actually a little. I don't get sick playing. The only game I've ever that's ever made me sick outside of VR, and and it's embarrassing to admit because I have to this day have not finished it. Was Half Life Two? I tried like three or four times to play that game, and it's the only. I never get sick playing games. That one for some reason. I think it was a field of view thing. But that that right. game aside, I did get fairly queasy playing one game, and I was surprised that I did because the guy it was an, it was the Ubisoft game Eagle Flight. And it, it, it's an Oculus game, and in the game, um, oh, actually, wait, it's not just an Oculus game. I think it's going to be for PlayStation VR as well, and it may be for Vive. But um, I, I experienced it on Oculus, on the Rift. And in the game, you play an eagle, and you control m- your movement by looking. You look. You, there's a crosshair out in front right. of you. You look in the direction you want to fly, or you tilt your head. And by tilt, I mean you turn your head down toward your shoulder as opposed to swiveling it. And you turn so to the left or to the right, and that causes you to take sort of a sharper turn in, in the corresponding direction. And then you can you have a gamepad, so you can um, you can tap a button and uh, you can go faster and slower. And then you can tap a button to shoot. Sort of, it looks like a sonic bolt. It's, they call it an eagle scream. And the point of the game is to basically fly very fast through Paris, a, a version of Paris that looks like they took, you know, the the Unity. Assassin's Creed right. Unity engine, and they just they took all the people out of it, <laughs> and then they stuck some animals. The whole point, it's kind of funny. There's actually a narrative here. It's kind of it sounds a little silly, but the whole point is that humans have abandoned the city for reasons unknown, and there are, the animals have reclaimed the city. So you're flying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know why the humans have abandoned the city, by the way, Matt Peckham. I don't want to spoil Eagle for you. Oh my. Okay, you but, can. Uh, you go right ahead. <laughs> okay, well, humans have abandoned the city because uh, frame rate. Ah. <laughs> well, that would explain things. Spoiler. That would explain yeah. why I was reaching for the ginger chews that Oculus literally had sitting in uh, in, in in little uh, ginger chew to, to combat nausea. Yeah. What is that? What do you mean? Oh my gosh! Wow! Oh, that's hilarious. I guess they can't very well. I mean, is is Dramamine a, a prescription drug? Can you get that over the counter? I think you can get that over the counter. I think I. Ha- oh, okay. I was going to say they can't hand that out because I. I I didn't know if it was over the counter. <laughs> I, so ginger cubes. Ginger okay. cubes. You know the little ginger chews that you take off and they have like the little white wrap underneath and they have powder Yeah, they're sugar. foul. I can't imagine. Yeah, they, they're horrible. Who would want to voluntarily put one of those in his or her mouth? Ew. I, hadn't, I hadn't had one of those things in years and I grabbed probably five or six of them and a ginger ale. They had ginger ale by the, you know, by the court there. Um, 
yeah, that was so they, they knew people were going to feel nauseous, and this one in particular, this is the only one that actually made you feel nauseous. The only one that made me feel nauseous, it was so bad that when I took off the headset, the feeling of dizziness persisted, especially if I tilted my head like I had been doing in the game. I almost fell down. And then, and then it was interesting, Tom, because I, I put up this, I wrote, put this little write-up in, and then you know my PR handler emails me and says, says, oh no, you know we'd like you to meet with the developer to, we, we think you, I think they were thinking that I misexperienced it. It's not a word, but you know what I mean, that I had not experienced it properly. And I'm thinking, no, I, <laughs> I think I did. Uh, and then I had talked to others who also were a little nauseous. The the guy who made it, um, Olivier, I'm not going to get his last name um, from Ubisoft. He went to great lengths to talk about how he went out of his way to talk about how he had, they'd engineered it to combat nausea. And I don't doubt that for a minute, but um, I think this is a, this is a takeaway that you can apply across the board. I don't think it's generalizing too much. VR, I think is going to be a very singular experience. There will be some games that, that are more likely to create nausea for sure. But what I heard and what I talking to people who tried all these things was that, and it's a problem VR has to solve is that there's, not yet a way to universally sort of combat the, the, the issues that you're bringing up, which is that these are going to get in the way for people. These are going right. to be door-closing things for some people to, uh, to the experience as it exists right now. Now, in, in, uh, so you've, you've experienced how cool it can be when it works, uh, but we, we've talked briefly about some of the, the issues with getting this to consumers, the, the price, the balkanization of the software... Uh, when you say that you are, when you sort of reluctantly admit that you have been won over, do you mean just from a perspective of how cool it is, or do you mean for how viable it is in the marketplace, for how successful it will be as a technology? I think, I th- well, so the, sec- the answer to the second question requires you know, me to prognosticate, which I'm bad at when it comes to, to these things. I think I am, I'll answer that part first. I think that... I think that, that, that given the conversations that I had kind of behind the scenes with, with the guy that's, you know, the open source folks, and, and, and to hear the ways in which this is going to show up, even outside of gaming in our lives, um, the, way it's already, the ways it's already showing up with real, realtors bringing, it, you know, bringing Gear VRs along to show people homes, with, uh, you know, its potential for sticking, you know, a camera in a, in a football stadium and then charging, you know, charging you a subscription to stick on a VR helmet at your home and then be able to have... You know, courtside seats, all of those things. I think that, I think that that we're at the we're at the uh, the front wave of the vanguard of an inevitable thing that is finally going. To, it's going to emerge as a niche thing. I think, Tom. I think that it's it's viable in a niche enthusiast way. Go, you know, start. Okay. And then I think in a year or two or five, um, the second and the third wave and things we don't we haven't even seen yet. Things that are in development that we don't know exist. Um, I think I, I guess I don't think this is maybe the answer it this way. This isn't the Wii, where it it uh, you know it sells a lot and then kind of doesn't have a second and a third iteration, right. and it's not Connect, where it was just a big buzzy thing and it sold lots of copies and Microsoft touted it as this major success that then vanished. I don't think VR arrives, peaks, and then disappears. Um, I don't think I think it's good enough at this point that it, it has a sustainable. Uh, economic model from a from a niche, niche enthusiast standpoint. I don't know if that answers the question well. But no, it does. So you're basically saying uh, you're basically saying you do think this will take off. Yes. Uh, yep. One of the things I was I was more asking about, and, and this gets to the point, 
is do you think this generation, like this introduction, is going to really take? But you're basically saying this is the first step. Uh, it's just going to get more and more pervasive as we go forward, you're saying. That's, that's my theory on this at, at, at this yeah. point. And, and to answer, if I can answer the first part of the question, which is am I, am I just taken by it myself? Like, am I, you know, do I, do I, do I, um, am I just wowed by it at this point? And I, th- I think it just depends so much on the experience right now. There, there are some things that I tried that I can't wait to go back and spend, you know, eight hours, you know, trying further. You know, there's, there's a mountain climbing game that's just, uh, it's extraordinary. Uh, I, to think, to think that a mount, that mountain climbing could be a game. They've somehow made it game-like enough that, um, I just wanted to be there. It's a, it's a slow game. You move at your own pace. You know, you're cli- it's like rock climbing. Nobody run, no, you know, you're not Spider-Man when you rock climb. Not in this game, anyway. It's very much an attempt to sort of simulate the contemplative... Uh, I hate to use this word, but it's the only one that's popping into my brain. Vertiginous <laughs> experience. Nice. Vertigo-inducing, that's better. That's less, that's less no, pretentious. No, no, go with... Ver- <laughs> No, vertiginous is awesome. That sounds like the name of a dragon. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> you know, lots of vertigo, and and then and then you're you're able to move your head around in the space and look at the crevices and the rock and the color and the grain in the in the rock face, and then you turn around and you see uh, what did I call it? The the Paramount Pictures logo mountain in the background with the sun setting behind it, and. Uh, and at one point, there all these little Easter eggs. You're going along, and then all of a sudden, you hear this "Yahoo!" and, and, and shoot, shooting right by you was a guy in a wingsuit. <laughs> and you just, your head jerks around, and you follow him down into the canyon, and you're like, "Wow!" So I, I think part of answering the question too is, what is it that that we're trying to sell? What is it? What is it the VR is trying to sell? Is it trying to sell just to the to the gamer that wants to play Call of Duty in VR, um, or is it is it going to open up a whole new space for games that that has only started to emerge over on the indie side you know i think that's a big part of it but so that by the way matt is one of my i have two big reservations about this whole thing and and one of them is when i hear people talking about things like that mountain climber thing or or even uh ubisoft letting you fly around paris uh and even you you wrote a piece at time.com uh, which broke down some uh, some of the games you saw, and each of the little things about a game has a video uh, that shows what the game is about. It's kind of hard to convey that in a little YouTube video when the whole point is this idea of presence. Uh, but so I, I've I've seen a list of of some of the games that are being developed. I get the sense there's not a lot of actual game development here, in the sense that. A game comes out, and there's, this, there's game design behind it. There's a developer creating something, or somebody iterating on a successful formula like Call of Duty or Diablo or The Sims. Everything I see so far, for the, maybe not everything, but for the most part, so many, so many of these things just seem like tech demos. Mm. Um, you know, even like that lightsaber thing that you talked about, I don't get the sense there's a game there. I just feel like it's... It's it's a brief tech demo to wow you, and once you've enjoyed that wow factor, you're just going to go back and play an actual game on your PC or, or your PS4. Uh, and the, the few game, actual bona fide games that I do see, you know, there's like a tower defense game, there's a racing game, Minecraft, for instance. Uh, those exist already. That that experience, I mean, without the presence, but that gameplay experience, 
already exists on a 2D screen just fine with a familiar interface. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess one of my concerns is, at, and maybe this is just part of this early first wave, it all seems like tech demos less than game design. That's a fantastic point. I think that's right. I think that's I think there are, I think that's right, and I think that's also um, when you see some of the, the experiences. I can maybe talk about a few of them here. Um, some of them speak to that question. Others others less so. Uh, in VR right now, okay. So first of all, I think that we're 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 going to be surfing a long, slow novelty curve here. Right, the novelty okay. curve on this technology is. Is is not I would I don't want to say it's completely flat but it's it's a long <laughs> it's a long hill up okay. so that's that's an aspect, that's an element of it but right now in terms of what the headsets can do without making you sick the the I think the best experiences the most VR experiences that that have to be in VR to have are the ones that involve where you look and what you look at and what you can and can't see based on um, that ability to move your head around in, in, in the box. I mean, you can do it, to be fair, you can do it with a gamepad, sure. Like, okay, so let's imagine, let's imagine that there's a 3D puzzle space uh, and you've hidden things behind objects in, in, in this mm -hmm. puzzle space. You can play like, uh, uh, what's a, uh, Captain Toad's, Captain Toad's Adventure on the, on, on the Wii U, where you have to swivel that, that thing around to solve the puzzle. Um, I think that, I think that the, I think that the VR-ness of, uh, of this initial wave of games, the stuff that I find interesting is where they're taking that experience and requiring that you move your entire body and your entire head around to, uh, uh, to find those things, hidden objects in the environment. Uh, and maybe that, you know, maybe that doesn't, maybe I'm just basically telling you, I'm, I'm reinforcing your point there, actually. <laughs> I think I'm actually reinforcing your point because there isn't a gameplay thing that's changed there, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, what do you? How do you feel about using your head as opposed to your hands to to move? So, he, yeah, hearing you describe the Mr. Toad as being something that might support it, what what I first thought of, and what I thought you were going to bring up, uh, in Jonathan Blow's Witness, there are certain puzzles where your perspective has to be at a very specific part of the world, so that you can draw lines uh, on the in the actual world. Uh, and I could imagine playing Witness where you know, I have to tilt my head or look at a certain perspective to line up a line on the horizon or something and then draw across it with my finger. Mm. Like, I can imagine like, if Witness were, were developed for VR, there, there's some intriguing possibilities they, there. They've, uh, they've actually, I don't know if it was Jonathan or somebody else on, on the team at Thecla that um, talked about this, but they were asked, could the Witness work in VR? And they said, not as it is, because you could cheat. There are some puzzles right. that you have to be, you know, you require a, a fixed perspective that they, if you could look behind the thing, you know, you'd be able to, I, I'm trying to think of one right now, I can't, but you can imagine. Well, they clearly make it where you, you can't tilt your head in witness. I mean, that's important, is they have to control where your perspective is. You can't crouch, for ah, instance. There you go, yep. Yeah, so they, they can't allow you to be waggling your head around and shifting your view willy-nilly. Uh, but again, that's saying if it were designed for VR, I could imagine some intriguing uh, possibilities there. Um, but for for the most part, I just uh, I I see like for instance, there's a, a game called Chronos that you linked to that looks cool, and I look at that and I'm like, oh, I kind of want to play that. But it also just looks like a normal third person adventure. There's no reason for it to be in in VR. 
Uh, I don't disagree with that, actually. That's a great point. So there, there are a lot of people that are excited about Kronos. I think they're excited based on the novelty of being present in the, in, in the experience. All it is is it's alone in the dark or um, a Resident Evil in that you, you have a fixed camera and you move. You, you are the, the, the camera sits in a fixed position and that's your head and you can move your head around, but you can't move your body. And that's that's right. a staple pretty much of, of VR, unless you're in a racing or a flying game where you're sort of automatically propelled forward. They don't want you, for the most part, controlling, you know, moving yourself around in these spaces because you start to get sick and ill. Most games were like that. Um, this Cronus was like that. So, yeah, it's just a third-person game, kind of ICO-like in terms of its architecture and such. It's pretty to look at, but the entire experience hinges, the VR-ness of it hinges on your uh, being wowed by being able to move your head around where that fixed camera would otherwise be in Alone in the Dark or Resident Evil. And and not only do they not want you to move in a game like this, I think the problem is once you put traversal into a game like this, and unless it's something like where you're flying, you mentioned the selling point of this is presence, is really feeling like you're there. Once you, you know, part of being present somewhere is I can walk over there to the left and I can look at something is I can sit in this chair I can mantle up on a on a low obstacle I can climb a ladder uh my legs my feet don't exist and you alluded to this before when you were talking about the sensation of your head in the box there are ways I can put my hands in there but my feet don't exist in here short of me getting short of them selling me some sort of a conveyor belt uh uh, or, or like a mouse ball, one of those things, track balls, short of something like that to put my feet on, which brings up a whole other slew of problems, that presence is limited to where it cuts me in half. You know, the lower <laughs> part of my body I cannot use. And you see this in some of these games, is instead they do something, like you mentioned, having to tuck your head down in your neck to change where you fly in that eagle thing. Uh, or the, there are some games I know that let you basically like zap around, like teleport, like point at something and go, okay, I'm going to jump over there. But once you get there, you're rooted in place. Uh, so the whole selling point of, of presence, it's only half presence, really. Because uh, that's cool, looking around, but traversal is an important part of a video game. Uh, Absolutely. And, 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 it's, and it's an important part of an experience. I completely yeah. agree. And it's, it's also like where you can tell some developers – have their head, you know, their their hands around it a little more than others. There are some that will let you move through, and like a traditional, you know, you're you're looking with your head. Your head is on a stick up here, looking around in in the like a you know like a shooter first person sort of thing, and then you're moving. You move your body down here uh, with with the you know on the gamepad with one of the joysticks. And there are even some games. I'm I'm making myself dizzy just even thinking about it. <laughs> that you can do that, and you can also you can either move your head to look around, or you can move to look around with the left joystick, and that will make you that makes you want to barf. Because I mean, imagine imagine looking out at reality, and instead of being able to control with just with your head to move around, you could also move your finger, and then that shifts your view. Right. The brain's right. not wired to process that information, and, and it, it just I, I just stopped doing it. It's only, it's only there. Why do they have it at all? It's there because there are points. M- most of the VR games I played, you want to be seated. You don't want to be standing. And if you're seated, unless you're in a swivel chair, and there were only swivel chairs for the Oculus event, you, if you need to turn around, you have to stand up to turn around. And so the, the shortcut for that right now to turn around is that you can use the, the, thumb, the joystick to force the entire view all the way around where your head, you know, we, we don't have exorcist heads here. We can't, you know, rotate our heads. 
around entirely. So, um, so there are a lot of issues with traversal, and, and, and that is why the games that I found the most interesting were, A, the third-person games like Lucky's Tale, where you're, you're the head in the box looking at like a diorama, and it's mm-hmm. it's the novelty, and this is I, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about some of the board games or the, the RTS games. Well, and this be, goes with the second point. It's the novelty of being in the third person diorama, but then also that you're looking at things that don't. You're looking at them as if they're real objects, which is not the same thing as looking at them on a 2D screen. You're looking at things that don't exist, can't exist in reality, and the the realization, the that that sense of them actually existing, is. For me, anyway, it was a completely different experience. The suspension of, of, of disbelief, the, the thing that you do when you look at it on a TV, um, is not the same thing as sure. when your head's there in the, you know, in the diorama itself. Right, right. Uh, you, you, so you mentioned uh, board games, and did you say VRTS? Oh, that's, that would be a great way, great way to... I, I, I probably just slurred my R's there. Virtual Reality RTS. VRRTS. <laughs> oh, oh VRRTS, right. The, the Air Mac game. And I hadn't played either of these, so I, I may get some of my... I don't get my details on these wrong. I never played Air Mech Command and then the uh, the tower defense game that I, I think was my favorite thing that I played in VR, crazily, Defense Grid 2. Uh, it's, a, it's a tower defense game. And, uh, well, let's see. Let's, let's, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Defense Grid 2 because... Um, so, Matt, I, I can't... I, I, I think it is ironic that the game you most enjoyed is something that I can play and have been playing for months. <laughs> <laughs> Is it is basically someone just lifting a pre-existing game and dropping it into VR, right? Or, or maybe not. Like, why was that your your favorite thing that you played? Okay, so it is, it is, and it isn't. It mostly is an existing game dropped in. You know, they call it Defense Grid Two Enhanced VR Edition. It's, uh, you know, I mean, you could probably, <laughs> I know it's bad. You could probably say more about it than than I can. I'll, I'll identify it as a tower defense game where you have. No, it is, yeah. You yeah. have, uh, you know, these little, I think, are they aliens or robots? Little robots that come marching out of, uh, you know, along a path, and then they hit these little checkerboards that are open, and then another path, and then another checkerboard. And they're trying to get to, you know, to an endpoint that has these power cores. They're trying to steal the cores and then retreat along, you know, the, the, the path that they came in on uh, before you can build various towers that, you know, take them out and then upgrade those towers. And then, like, you know, any tower defense game, more will come faster and all of these, you know, the the intensity of the experience increases. So what have they done to it that makes it interesting as a VR game? I confess that a lot of it was the novelty for me of of being the head in the box and being able to, you're sitting there and suddenly it's a tabletop. It's like I have a physical tabletop tower defense game that's sitting in my living room now, like the holograms in Star Wars, you know, like the hologram games that you see him playing on the Millennium Falcon. It's like, it's like I'm playing a holographic version now, uh, and I can stick my head down. I can lean down. I can crouch all the way down on, you know, on the floor. I can, I can lay down. I can lie down, and, uh, and I can look at underneath these things. I can see what, what do they texture map underneath the robots and just appreciate the... I know it sounds ridiculous. You're probably, you're probably like... This is it does silly. sound ridiculous, but it, it doesn't sound ridiculous, Matt, but... My my reaction to that, and I don't mean this no, please. to be as snippy as it sounds, but my reaction to that, Matt, who cares? You know, what I mean, <laughs> so so they model, they put a texture under the table. Um, again, I, I'm not meaning to be dismissive of your experience and how cool you thought it was, but nothing you're saying right now makes me think, oh, 
I'm going to go spend six hundred dollars so I can see the bottom of the table in defense grid. Um, oh, that's great! No, I, I it's you make a, a, a wonderful point. I I think yeah, I think it's I, like I said, I'm confessing to the novelty of the experience being that you know you, you're you're suddenly you, okay. If I play these things on a 2D screen and I see the robots and I see the towers and I see all the stuff happening, I don't have the same investment. Um, you know, it's like the difference between playing with army men. Um, that suddenly would come alive like in uh, Toy Story, and then they're there. Like, an, you know, I suppose you could imagine an augmented reality experience where they're actually running around in your, you know, in your, in your uh, office or living room or something. It, it feels like something that, that I'm... There's, a, there's an emotional and a mental detachment that I've always felt toward these games that I didn't realize was there until I, until they became, until I played them in a VR experience. And now it's, it's like it's more than just the... It's... it's it's like I believe they're there. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's like I believe that they persist. Um, I, okay, here's a. At one point, I went to, to. I was so caught up in the moment that I went to put my hands out to brace myself on the table so that I could kind of lean forward and peer around something else. Right. And I almost did it, and I almost fell flat on my face because my right, brain was right. so convinced that that this thing was there. Now to criticize my own enthusiasm here for, for that aspect of it, maybe what's going to happen, maybe what's happened with video games on 2D screens is that we've been playing them for, for all this time, and that's why the novelty of sort of the plausibility of their reality is gone. You know, you look at it and you just, you know, okay, it's another game with robots marching around on a screen. And maybe that'll happen in VR. Maybe in a year or two or three, I'll, that the novelty wears off, and, and it really is like you're just ahead of the curve. You're saying, I really, really want the, the game aspect of this has to matter and I can I completely get behind that I mean I I can see that that's going to be you know the biggest challenge what about this experience uh it makes it necessary makes it essential right so you're you're making me think of uh a long time ago there there were some RTSs these command and conquer RTSs that Westwood made and I remember playing one of them at one point, and I'd been playing it for a while. I'd gotten to the campaign, and I'd done multiplayer, and I knew the units. And at one point, I was so familiar with all the stuff, and I was just waiting to get enough ore to make new tanks, whatever. And I realized, for the first time, in literally tens of hours playing this thing, oh my gosh, there is on the map the shadow of clouds passing between me and the sun to create this illusion of actually looking down at a landscape. And that had been there the whole time, but I'd never noticed it because it was something that went straight to my brain. Um, and it was a trick the developers used, knowing that, hey, I might not notice this, but it's going to make Tom, well, not me personally, it's going to make anybody playing it create this illusion of leaning down, looking over a landscape. Uh, it's designing stuff to go straight to the brain. Uh, and I get the sense this is what people res- will respond to here, is this idea of just making something that goes straight to your brain, that lizard brain part that doesn't think or rationalize, that just exists, and that convinces you of things like, hey, there's a table in front of me I can lean on. Uh, well, So I, I, get, I get the sense that that's, that's part of what's, go- what's going on, and it's, you know, it's undeniable. I, I can see why that would work. It, it occurs to me that there is a game, a game that you introduced um, my wife Jill and I too, when we when we were fortunate to come out and, and visit you here uh, around the holidays, uh, that was it, it's 
it's stuck in my head. Everybody, when I say it, everybody will be like, oh, yeah, that thing, we, we, we played it many, many times. But I, to this day, it, it, like one of the best, it, one of the most fun experiences, I'll use that word fun to indicate my enthusiasm, Tom Chick. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't mind that, by the way, in a conversation. Just don't use it in a critical analysis, Never. Matt Peckham, and we'll be Never. fine. I have avoided using that word for, for many years. But uh, Ubisoft, is it Ubisoft or Ubisoft? Uh, you know what? It's French, so who okay. knows? Uh, I think they say Ubisoft, but I don't. I don't think in the U.S. it's taken off. We call them Ubisoft. I like, here, don't I like we? Ubisoft. You've been saying Ubisoft, and I had switched to Ubisoft. This is so silly to talk about, but I switched to Ubisoft uh, because I heard other. I heard Ubisoft using it, but I don't like Ubisoft. I prefer Ubisoft. <laughs> and you know what's going to kill that? What's going to make that basically the, the the nail in the coffin of us calling it Ubisoft? Uh, the prevalence of Uber uh, when you talk about Ubering something. So now when we see that UB at the head of a word, we think Ubisoft. Yes. Uh, it's not you don't you don't Uber when you you know get a ride somewhere you Uber. So okay. I, I think Ubisoft it's it's Ubisoft for all intents and purposes. But so so what was the game you were going to mention? You introduced us to Werewolf, and and uh, you, you know which is a, a ver- I guess the variation on Mafia. And had the best time playing that with you. And then you probably saw that uh, Ubisoft uh, had had announced a version of that they're calling Werewolves Within, taking place mm-hmm. in VR. And I didn't get a chance to try it. Um, I, I got out. I think I left GDC too too early. But my understanding is that that's uh, that might start to make the case for the sort of an experience that you could only really have. Um, in the way that they're, they're they're intending to do it anyway in VR, and that is that okay, you know, instead of sitting around the kitchen table and playing on pieces of paper or with cards or with an iPad or, or, or however you do it, however you, whichever variation you're you're using in their VR space, you can be in any you know you can be in a haunted forest, you can be sitting around a campfire, you can create an atmosphere that lends itself to the um, uh, the ambiance that the game's trying to create, you know, sort of implicitly, and then furthermore, and this is something I'm relying on other people having who have tried it told me that they're able to do is that, you know, so much of that game depends on, as I learned from you, Tom Check, cause you were really good at it <laughs> on, on, uh, on uh, truly just, just ingenious deception, you know, really playing other people against other people. And in their version of it, I guess, because you have the headsets on, you know, I mean, first of all, they can just, they can just kill the view anytime they want. They can just black out the screen so, so no one can peek. You know, you can only look when, when, when you're supposed to look. But then second of all, I heard that you can, if you lean over in VR space next to the player who's next to you, you can talk to them like at a normal talking volume and nobody else hears you. So you can conspire with other players uh, and, and, and such and have conversations that, you know, you don't have to, in, in the real world, you'd have to really whisper quietly or you'd have to send people out of the room. You know, when you start thinking about it that way, what are your, you know, does that do anything for you? So, no, because I think this whole thing, and I, I, I appreciate your enthusiasm, because Werewolf is a great game, this whole idea of sitting around a table with your friends and having to parse out secret identities and who's aligned with whom. Um, it's a terrible idea to do that in VR, because the whole point of that, Matt Peckham, is is, is the psychology of it. It's only partly a, logical, a logic puzzle. Uh, the psychology of me watching you try to lie. And once I put... A, a goofy hat on my noggin in front of my eyes where I can't see you anymore, that dimension is gone. So I sure, I can appreciate the idea of you can then create uh, roles or situations where two people can p- 
privately speak rather than everyone at the table hearing them. But I don't want to trade that for the idea of me looking you in the eye, watching you lie to me about whether or not you're a werewolf. That is the essence of that experience. And if I put a big old VR thing in front of me and I'm looking at that instead of you – that's no longer the werewolf experience to me. I feel. No, I can't argue with that. Uh, no, I can't argue. I, can't, I, I, I have, having not tried it, I, you know, that's all the more I can say about it. But I, yeah, I, I'd have. Well, I was going to ask you a question about that, by the way, because um, you had had another on another podcast. You had you had been talking about board games, the rules of board gaming. Your three rules were wonderful. I thought they were exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Pacing, pacing, pacing. Pacing, right, pacing, right. pacing. Um, but I was going to I was going to ask you about that since you since you've talk about the psychological component being so important. Can you learn, what can you learn? Because I, le- I think I learned something about you. What can you learn about, or can you learn things about people out- that, that apply outside of the board game based on how they play a board game with you? Based on how they play a board game, sure, but that's because I'm sitting at a table with them. Uh, you know, Otherwise, I can't learn any more about them than I could in World of Warcraft or Command and Conquer or StarCraft II or whatever. Uh, well, that's not. Yeah, the appeal of board games is is the presence of the the literal presence of the people, as well. By the way, is the tactileness of the pieces. Like I think that's an important element as well. I should add that wasn't meant to be a defensive VR so much as just a more of a curiosity a question I'd, I'd been meaning to ask you because I learned about what I learned about you was that you are a, 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 a fastidious and tre- a very tremendous explainer. Of the rules to somebody who has no idea how to freaking play the game, <laughs> it was great. No, you're really good at that. You're good at you're good at taking people who have no conceptualization of this of this experience and very quickly helping them ramp up. So, can I hire you, Tom Chick, to come explain things to me? Sure, absolutely. I could use a job. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Let me, as long as I don't, as long as I can sleep. As long if you don't expect me to get it before noon, I'm on board. Yeah. Uh, uh, so then, so here's also where I. I think I disagree with you, but I'm disagreeing with you from the perspective of someone who was not at GDC, has not experienced the latest implementations of this technology. You're basically saying, you're conceding that this first wave is a first wave. This is us getting our feet wet. Um, But you're also saying that you feel this novelty curve is going to be a long, slow curve, and that there's kind of an inevitability to this technology, is that is that a fair way to sort of characterize your your perspective? I I think that's that's a, that's exactly right, or that's a, a fair way to, to characterize it. Did you want to say something else, or? Yeah, that it's, that it's basically not the we or the connect. That it's not something that we're going to try. It doesn't take off. We drop it. Everybody backs off from it. You're, you're saying you don't see that as an analog, the we and the connect. Uh, no, I, I what? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I, I yep. was going to say the uh, the I. I I don't want to sound like a futurist here, but like 30, I think the, I think I'm in the group. Okay. I'm in the group of sort of philosophically that thinks that was thinking 30 years ago that VR is inevitable. It's just a matter of when and where, you know, when is it going to happen? When are we going to, when are we going to, you know, check out of one thing and check into another in a way that's, that's uh, uh, dramatically immersive. And I, th- I think that this first wave is good enough. And I think that it has enough um, – it, it, it's novelty. It's A lot of it's going to be novelty. But I think that that creates a landing path uh, through the enthusiasts, by the way. This is not – I'm not going to try and sell this to my baby boomer parents. I'm not going to try and sell this to somebody who all they want to do is play Candy Crush. I mean, lots of respect to, to those, for those people. But I think that the, the novelty and the enthusiast combine here to create a landing path 
for all the stuff that I'm being told is coming cheaper, higher fidelity, uh, less of an less of a uh, what did you call it before? Less of an obstacle to to the experience. And then right. and then you know I mean I I didn't go to a lot of the developer talks, but the, all of the developers I talked to, like like the, the ones doing Fantastic Contraption and Job Simulator and some of these things, who are who believe that they're creating experiences that can only happen in virtual reality, um, a combination of social things and and a combination of, of of or I'm sorry, a combination of social things and of these sort of individualized, contemplative, meditative checking out of this reality to interface with something that you could not interface with. You know, I I will never rock climb. I can't. I'm not. I'm, I just. I'm, I'm. I'm not interested enough to go learn how, and I'm freaking terrified. You know me. I, I'm scared of turbulence on a plane. Uh, I'm never going to go climb a rock wall, but I might. I will do it in virtual reality and enjoy it um, at that level, at that you know that aspect of the experience. Mm-hmm. Well, so then here is where I. Uh, here's something that I want to bring up that I think is intentionally avoided and that the people talking about this technology are kind of terrified of this comparison and will take pains to explain why it's not a fair comparison. Uh, whereas you say the analog for this isn't the Wii motion control, it's not the Kinect. Uh, I think the analog for this is clearly 3D. Uh, and 3D was something that was introduced. It never took off, except for places where it is forced between us and movies, basically. Like, when you buy a ticket for a movie, they do everything to encourage you to see it in 3D. They're making more money from that. However, nobody is buying 3D for their home. Like, all attempts at that have failed. That's something that... That's that's nicher than niche. Uh, that's just not a part of 3D, and that's something that there were high hopes for. Um, now, there are differences, of course, in the experience, in why one might work and doesn't work, but I see this as 3D, as the, the counterpart to 3D, for a couple of reasons. One being that this is coming from hardware developers. This is coming from the people who have a financial stake in it succeeding and not from demand from consumers. It's not, for instance, like, like an iPhone where everybody wants one. There's this crazy demand for it. Everybody's hungry for it. This is like 3D, where the people who are making it are really having to go to pains to convince us that we want it. Um, uh, and I just, I, that, that, that's sort of how I'm experiencing Like, there's so many of these dog and pony shows. There's so many of these PR people trying to explain why this is the, the next big thing. Uh, and, and I also feel that we're also seeing some developers who are terrified of missing out on whatever the next big thing is. You know, they've seen things like, and these aren't technologies, but movements, they've seen things like crowdsourcing or, uh, you know, uh, the, the Apple Store or whatever, like uh, the, the way they push software. They've seen these movements come and go, and they've missed out on that first wave of huge successes. Uh, so I think a lot of developers who are on board for this are, just don't want to miss whatever the next big thing is. Um, Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I think to all of your points, uh, grant, you know, I, uh, granted, and I see the parallels. I mean, I was thinking when you're talking about 3D movies before, I was thinking about the first time uh-huh. that I, I think the first 3D movie that I saw in the sense that we think of 3D. I mean, you know, there were 3D movies with, you know, where they were taking, you know, uh, blue and red and 
Creature from the Black Lagoon when we were kids on TV. Back in the 50s, right. Exactly, yeah. The little paper glasses. Little paper right? glasses. But what we think of when we think of like 3D TV with the stereoscopic and the, you know, the shutters and the glasses and such. Um, I, my first one, my first experience was Avatar. And I remember right away, the entire time I was watching that movie, and I, which I didn't like very much as a movie anyway, but it, as I was watching, the entire time I was watching that movie, I was thinking, is this scene, is that floating object in front of me here where he's lingering on the camera shot, is that because that's what needs to happen here in the moment for the, for, for the purpose of the movie? Or are they trying to sort of, you know, make me go, wow. You know, because you see that so much in so many of the 3D movies that have existed, that attempt to, to do something with the scene because they know it's going to make you go, whoa, like a Disney ride or something. Um, yeah. Or like in 3D movies, you would have something that, like a, a stick poking out at the screen or, or something, <laughs> debris flying past you. Like, yeah. they, that's basically compromising the art of movie making in support of this technology. Yes. You know, James Cameron, those the 3D things flying out at the screen, that's not because the person telling the story felt that was necessary. That's because they knew there was this new technology and they wanted to justify its existence. So they, they throw that in so, there. So let, yeah. me, let me come back at the question in a different way about VR for you. Let me ask you a question sort of coming around about it the other way. Do you, never minding Oculus and Vive and their current iterations, is there for you, like when you think about the future, when you think about you know different possible versions of virtual reality, without asking you to come up with some crazy cool gameplay idea, is there a version of this? Is there a is there a way that they could impress you that you could you would be impressed enough by being able to sort of jack into an alternative um, version of reality that you would right. find interesting enough to want to be there for its you know for its own sake? Probably not, but that that is beside the point because I'm not in the demographic that they're trying to sell to. Basically, uh, I am uh, too old, too set in my ways. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not, you know, th- this is something they're trying to get the next generation on board for. So no, for me, no, this this doesn't, this doesn't, this isn't something that I would be interested in. So far, I haven't seen any sort of game development that justifies it. Uh, and I am not, by the way. There's a third group of people who really want this to succeed. There's the hardware makers. There are the developers who are desperate not to miss the next big thing. And I'm not a member of the third group, which I think Matt Peckham. This might characterize you, and I'm only 43% teasing. I am 67% serious. When I say the third group is nerds who have always wanted to have a holodeck. (laughs) I resemble that remark. I I seem to resemble others uh, in these podcasts, but I definitely resemble that one too. So, yes, uh, as as someone who's not a fan of Star Trek but, you know, knows the holodeck, um, yeah, I, you know, I'll admit. Ever since I, I have a, I have a, a dear friend in, in Minnesota that I, we used to sit around and geek out. Um, we still do, but we, we geeked out in the '90s, in the early '90s, when the Super Nintendo was out and and VR was. People were talking about, you know, here comes VR and you know all that sort of thing. And you start imagining what you might be able to do. And we were we were trying to think about it beyond gaming, right? I mean, way beyond gaming. Um, you know, and then the Matrix comes along in 1999, and, and uh, you know that that's probably the point at which it becomes. If we ever get to that point, I don't want to get off into crazy futuristic land here, but you know that's okay. Let me back up. I talked years ago. I talked to Dr. Richard Marks. He's the guy who created the iToy, and then went on to create the PlayStation Move, and then went on now to create PlayStation VR. Like back in when I was writing for Electronic Gaming Monthly, back in like oh five or oh six, around the time the Wii was coming out or had just come out, 
I interviewed him and, and, and just to, ba- to ask the question, the kind of provocative question, hey, do you, do you hate the fact that everybody's giving Nintendo credit for launching motion control when the iToy pre- predated it? And that conversation turned into a conversation about Minority Report and gestural interfaces and VR headsets. And he said these totally interesting, contradictory things. He said that he said that hand motion, like in Minority Report, is silly because it doesn't. It's it's an economy of motion issue. No one's going to want to wave their hands around when they can just take a mouse and go dink click. So so he kind of dismissed that as as silly. I thought for good reasons. And then he dismissed the idea. He said of of headsets, of HMDs, head-mounted displays. He said there's no way that uh, people are going to get behind this something they have to wear that has a cable. Which I should you'll appreciate this metaphor if you haven't already heard it. A, a, a cable. The, uh, these headsets have cables that come off the top of of the head and they run down the side of your body, and they're being referred to as sort of the bridesmaids, you know, the veil that has to be carried around behind the bride because right, otherwise right. you're going to trip over it. Um, so the bridal, what do they call it? The bridal veil. Uh, so, so he said, no one's going to want to do that because you know it's like it's why have these wearable things not taken off? I mean, people don't even want to wear Google Glass. Right. So I think there's still something to that. Um, uh, I still struggle with that. I think that's still a, a serious limitation. And I confronted him on that um, again here at, at GDC because I talked to him again, and he said he said that he kind of uh, I don't want to say that he. He, he reversed himself, but he kind of did. He, 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 I brought it up to him, and he said, "Yeah." He said, "I've, you know, I didn't realize until until the headsets got to this point, and then I put them on, and now I get it, and and I and I can see how this is going to be a, 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 a persuasive thing." But it must just be, as you say, it must be uh, demographically that, that there's a demographic for this. There's a holodeck demographic that. Uh, this is going to appeal to, but I, I, I guess I think that it's going to move. Like, unless everybody that's talking to me is just completely off off the map here, I think it's going to move so swiftly and it's going to change so quickly that what we're going to be talking about in even two years or three years is going to be uh, is going to be very different from these initial headsets that were. And that that, by the way, is the messaging that's out there. I mean, I think that's uh, what the people making it want you to believe. Uh, like that's their sort of message is that this is inevitable. You're going to watch sports games this way. Uh, you know, you mentioned before, if you want to buy a house, your realtor is going to show you that house through, through VR. They're, they're scrambling for ways to characterize this as it's going to happen. Uh, you know, whether you like it or not, this is the future. Um, and, and, and that to be fair, I was, that's why I was only being 43% facetious when I, I, talked about nerds wanting holodecks, they're futurists is, you know, that's a way of looking at technology. Um, and, you know, whether it's Tron or the Matrix or a holodeck, this has been part of how we conceive of the future in, in cyberspace, is this, this sense of presence. Um, but I just feel I, I am not convinced that it's inevitable, because I've seen the rise and fall of 3D, of the Wii, of the Kinect. Uh, I have watched developers and hardware creators sell us solutions to problems that don't exist, uh, and I feel that's partly what this is, uh, but I am not much of a futurist, I grant, uh, I, I certainly grant you that. I, uh, no, yeah, but I, 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 I grant, you're making terrific, important, essential points, I mean, we, we could be, I could be, I could be wrong, I mean, I don't know, I don't have some special crystal ball here, right. I could be sure. wrong, uh, I think you're right to identify and for me to identify in myself a, a desire for this to happen. 
um, because it's like you say, it's something that I think I've I've been interested in and excited about. Now I'm not an evangelist. I'm not going to go out. I'm going to try, you know, through you know, through time and, and, and just whatever else, um, uh, to to a, a, a approach it with a, a level of always of healthy skepticism in that. Um, if it doesn't advance, if this is as far as we go, I mean, if in three years we're still playing on, you know, we haven't even talked about the the low fidelity um, issues with these launch headsets. I know, like, I know you've talked about um, resolution in games, and I know it's how I think about games. That it really doesn't matter to us. The games are what the gameplay is what matters. Uh, I really don't care whether I'm running at 720p or 1080p or whatever these, you know, these num- you know, unless unless there's something that's essential about the fidelity uh, to the gameplay somehow. I don't know. Um, I, I don't really care. But in VR, you have to care. I mean, it ha- it matters because it, it, it now you're getting into things about is it going to make me sick or not? You know, based on fidelity. Right, right. And uh, and it's it's like right now. It, people talk about the screen door effect. Have you heard about that? No, it is. So the screen door effect is is uh, is is that when you put these headsets on, if you look, they're much better than they were. To be fair, to anybody listening, going, oh no, you know that's that's the way they were at the beginning. But you still see it now. You still see it now, and that is that it looks like you're looking through the mesh on a screen door at something. If you look, mm-hmm. it, it's as if you were, were sticking your head up right close to your TV screen. Which I mean, it's almost literally like that in the sense that if you put your head up close, you can see. If not the pixels, sort of like the mesh between, every, you know, the mesh work. I don't know. I'm not a LCD expert here, so I can't. I don't have the, the words for it. But you kind of see the the man behind the curtain. Right. And th- there is that sense in VR. It's especially noticeable when you look out at things that are rendered at a distance, like the mountain I was talking about in the climb. Uh, when I was playing Project Cars, which is a a kind of a port over of a racing game um, that exists mm-hmm. already. When you look down, just down at the dashboard, at the odometer, um, or the speedometer, I'm not the odometer, the speedometer, those large uh, numbers um, for the speedometer are the only thing you can really read. All the other numbers, if you stick your head up really close, then you can see what they're saying. But just even sitting back at, the, at a comfortable distance in the car seat, it's all blurry. And that's, that's a problem. That's a serious limitation. Right. I, I can imagine, though, that's a solvable problem, yes. though, I would think, is uh, what's not a solvable problem and what I think the 67% of rational futurists realize, you know, those guys who want their holodeck, who want to be in the Matrix, uh, is that the non-solvable part of the problem is the intrusiveness of it. There is no way around that. I have to put a huge, just like 3D glasses, an enormous, clunky, awkward obstacle will exist between me and the entertainment I'm consuming. In VR, there is no way around that until we actually get holodecks. Because when you're in a holodeck or when you're in the Matrix, you're not wearing a goofy hat with blinders. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the problem with this, is that there's, th- that's the unsolvable part of the problem. Well, it requires something more than like, uh, you know, now we get into speculation line here, but I don't know if you've seen that British series Black Mirror, but there's... Yep. There's that episode, the entire history of you, you know, where they have the eye implants, which I think is is uh, the be- I think it's absolutely brilliant that that episode, um, and that uh, yeah, that is the best thing that is on Black Mirror, which is already pretty cool. The entire history of you is amazing. I encourage anyone to look it up. But yeah, so go ahead. So how do you relate that? Go ahead. That was yeah, it, it's so, so depressing too because then you know then you have to answer all the existential questions of like what <laughs> we're heading we're heading there that the you know the transhumanism you know stuff, 
But uh, yeah, you know that it, it gets back to Rich, to Dr. Marx's point about people not wanting to wear things. And your point, you know, frankly, your the point that you're sort of reinforcing here, which is that it's not really going to be a, a truly culturally all pervasive thing. And this is maybe a good way to just bring up augmented reality and talk about that. It's not going to be that thing until it's seamless, until you don't have to do anything, until you don't have to put on things to make it happen. I don't know that. I, I don't know, maybe this is more wishful thinking, but I don't know that, that we're going to become a society of people wanting to sit in chairs with headsets on for eight hours a day or whatever it is that, that people spend playing you know, Skyrim and, and some of these games now. Um, I don't know that I even necessarily think that's a desirable thing. Um, and that's where... Oh, and, go ahead, yeah. Well, yeah, and how that relates to the entire history of you, which I wanted you to, to mention, is that envisions... Uh, we just get an implant. We don't have anything, and it records all of our experiences, just the visual, the visual and the audio of it. Uh, and we can replay those experiences anytime we want with a tiny little thumb control. And, and what that's getting at, I mean, that, that episode is actually more about the social ramifications of that. And it's a great piece of writing uh, and acting, by the way, with the two actors in it. Uh, but but what that how that's relevant is it's showing this hugely important technology and it's showing it as incredibly non-intrusive. It's as simple as just sliding your thumb over a small surface. Uh, yes. So we're, in VR, we'll never be able to achieve that. Uh, so, so that's why that, that's, I think, an important part, an important lesson that VR can take from this episode, uh, which again is just speculative science fiction. But in order for something to really be successful like this, you can't expect it to be so intrusive as, as VR is. Yeah. No, that's a great point. That, that's a very important and a, and, a, and, a, and a very good point in that. I mean, you know, think about the Wii and Connect were immediately they, they were they were they sold themselves in as much as they were you know relevant from a novelty standpoint at the time. They were very easy. It's very simple to convey the idea. You know, stand here and just move your hands around a little bit. They didn't require. I mean, the Wii required you put the straps on, I guess, for the for the Wiimote, but it was still very intuitive. It was sort of like holding a golf club, the 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 a hilt of a golf club or something. You know, so it was easier to convey. VR as an experience is not only um, it has all of the issues that you know that I, the, the points you make, but it's also impossible to convey. You can't in, in, until you get somebody in the headset, and then even when they're in the headset. Um, we found we found that a lot of the developers and a lot of the experience, or I found a lot of the developers and, and a lot of the experiences were very. They took they took a lot of acclimation. There there was mm-hmm. there was almost nothing, uh, but for the diorama the diorama games where you're head in the box looking at a 3D world, were fairly. It was fairly easy to to, to get it right away, but everything else, um, uh, you know, even after a half an hour, uh, the acclimation curve. So this is nothing like Connect or Wii in terms of its appeal to, uh, right, to people right. Right, out of the, right out of the gate. Um, uh, augmented reality, really quick. You might, sure, yeah, yeah. You might find this interesting. I talked to, to develop, the develop, there's a developer war going on, or, or at least I'm generalizing there. Uh, but my sense is that there are developers at war right now over which is the more likely technology. And there's a whole contingent of developers that think that VR, you know, it's going to be this thing, as you say, Holodeck fans, VR enthusiasts, etc., that'll that'll stick and go on. The, but as far as the thing that breaks out and uh, and and becomes all pervasive, uh, there's a whole group that thinks it's augmented reality, and that even though the Hololens, Microsoft's Hololens, 
is getting initially kind of lukewarm, tepid reviews from critics who say that it's not all that great and such, that that is going to improve just like VR so quickly that, um, and then that's going to infiltrate our lives in much more subtle and meaningful ways. Uh, the uh, the heads-up display on a car, you know, on a windshield, you could have a heads-up display that's 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 identifying things for you, you know, uh, uh, overlaying street signs and telling you, you know, a GPS line, whatever. I mean, I'm not in the space, so I'm I don't know what what it'll all do, but you can imagine, and that that has immediate. You know that that could be very meaningful and very appealing, and it's much more likely to resonate with people uh, in their everyday lives than VR, you know, might for decades. And that, by the way, that's a that's a great example. That's a proven technology. Uh, that's how fighter planes work. I mean, that's existed for for military reasons for 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 uh, quite a while, and it's now being ported over to consumer applications. So. If there was a military, by the way, component to VR, for instance, if defense dollars were going into developing VR, I would certainly be rosier on the future of it, uh, like this idea of having HUDs in cars. Yeah. But you can probably tell I'm conflicted uh, with VR. I, sure, I'm excited sure. and, and, and worried, but, but on, balance, I think that, you know, on balance, I think that the landing path is there. It's just a question now of how, how long and how far that novelty curve is going to last. Right. Well, I appreciate that uh, that contrast because you're conflicted. I am not the least bit <laughs> conflicted about this. I, I am pretty convinced. And, you know, I would love to be wrong because, you know, the few times I've tried it, I've been, yeah, okay, this is cool. Uh, and if someone can make it work and make me want it, I think that that would be awesome. Uh, I would definitely be on board for that if they can do it. And I just don't think it's going to happen. I would, so, I would we'll only see. say that, that, that take it, uh, you know, I, I, I have to apologize here for my shortcomings in, in, in articulating and evangelizing, <laughs> I may be doing a poor job too. There may be, uh, and I didn't, I should, I should point this out. I tried like 10 Oculus games and I tried a handful of Vive games and there were like a hundred. So there, there might be somewhere that I, you know, somebody, I haven't even had a chance to digest all the news that came out of GDC. There might be one or two or three things that somebody else found uh, that do prove the point or, or prove it better than I'm proving it. So I should just say that to anybody listening. Um, don't. <laughs> I, you're just getting my little worldview here on, on this, and it's a small one at this point. Uh, so. Well, if I was trying to sell this, and I sort of realized this reading a piece you wrote, if I was trying to sell this, I would want to hitch it to a license that's already popular, like Star Wars. Mm. <laughs> uh, because, you know, I... I yeah. Everybody wants to wave a lightsaber around, so therefore I would point out if I was marketing VR, hey, we've got lightsabers from Star Wars. You can be, I guess, does Daisy Ridley ever use a lightsaber in Force Awakens? She, she hands one to. Oh wait, yeah, she does, doesn't she? Doesn't she? Doesn't okay. she have the fight? Yeah, she has the big fight with. Oh right, 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 right. Of where course. she totally, oh, of course she does. She's right. totally, that's totally, the, you know, wails on him, and it's and, and that's another conversation. But yeah, that that's the eponymous Force Awakening. Of course, how could I forget that? But you could, if you want to be Daisy Ridley in Force Awakens, you need VR. Like that's how I would sell it. Uh, and and you mentioned this. Uh, is it? A, it's an actual game, right? This thing where you're. Uh, what's it called? Tatooine Dreams? Oh. <laughs> Trials on Tatooine. It's not. It's not a game. It's ILMFX. It's a studio. They're they're just trying. They're doing a VR demo that. Okay, it's a tech demo. A tech demo that I, I experienced it on the Vive uh, or the Vive or whatever it is, and it was. It's just you know you're 
uh, it's just as you may, if you read the piece, it's just as in there, you are a Padawan, a young Jedi. You show up on, <laughs> you show up on Tatooine and, uh, of course. I just want to say, ha, 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 you know what a Padawan is. Yeah, I know. And I thought, you know, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. You know, I'm not, but I do know. I do know. Um, the, uh, the Millennium Falcon comes down and lands quite, you know, literally right on top of your head. I mean, it comes down over you and it's not a safe right. landing. I'll, <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> you know, it, it it is like literally over your head, and it comes down, and you can, you know, if, it would not meet FC uh, yeah. or FAA standards. This is not how. Do not try this at home with your own Millennium Falcon, right? Because you could hurt someone landing on top of them. That's right. right. But the the up the upside of this is that you can you can admire all of the underbelly details that they've replicated. You know, I don't know from from the the real thing, and uh, and then you know the landing ramp. Pops down, Han Solo comes on over the comms and says, you know, hey, blah, 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 whatever. I'm not going to try and do a Harrison Ford impersonation here. Landing ramp comes down and R2-D2 wheels down. And then, you know, there's R2-D2. And now you can walk up to R2-D2 or kind of lean up toward him because you don't want to, you can't walk really in these headsets. R2-D2 comes to you, basically. Yeah, you don't go to R2-D2. That's right. That's right. But you can you can look around R2-D2 and, you know, see the twin suns glinting off his chrome dome. And it's just... It's very cool because uh, it's the presence thing again. And then, uh, right. and then Han says, "Hey, uh, uh, you know, Luke has something for you. You know, and if you could, but bet you couldn't guess what it is, Tom Chick." <laughs> well, I know because I spoiler, I read your piece. Ah, okay. Well, so you know, so you you pick it up and it it comes to life, and you now you're holding a lightsaber with a blue blade. And and this was the part, um, this was the part in the demo that I just was, I was stunned because I, I you're here you are you're holding holding the, the HTC controller, and it looks like the hilt of a, of a sword. I should, I should mention this. The Vive controllers, their fidelity, uh, your ability to turn them around and have absolutely no leg or jitter, it, 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 right. you, it looks like you're holding the thing just as it does in reality. I mean, it's, very, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's astonishing how good that is, uh, the, the tracking is. But now you're holding it. It's a lightsaber, and then you can hold the lightsaber up to your face you can look closely at the hilt. You can see inside the hilt. You're turning it around. I mean, it looks like a real object. And again, I, novelty alert, granted. But uh, there is something to that, to, to holding an alien object in your hand that can't exist in reality and have it seem to be real. So uh, 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 this is awesome for a lightsaber because we're conditioned to think of a lightsaber as weightless. Now try and do this, Matt Peckham, with a sword. <laughs> right. And, and furthermore, with something that, this idea, with, with something that pushes back, the idea of force. You know, you can't push a wall. You can't, uh, you, you can't have your sword clang up against someone else's and stop. Like this idea of a lightsaber, a weightless thing that cuts through anything, sure, we can buy that in VR. But that's because George Lucas created this fiction that's perfect for VR with this one particular device, this one item. Uh, once you start applying that to other objects, it's going to be a problem, and it's not that different from using my mouse to move around a 3D model in a, in a, on a computer screen. That's right. The, the Buster uh, Sword in Final Fantasy VII isn't going to, which I assume weighs a lot, um, would would weigh a lot in in, uh, in if it were to exist, is is not going to be modeled. Right, uh, right. In a perceivable way, or in a real way. Um, but, 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 and, and it, it, I should. It, so, so Trials and Tatooine isn't a game, but there is a little gameplay element that I allude to at the end of that piece, and it is pretty cool when you when you get to do that. When the when the which I didn't understand by the way. So you end your piece with uh, 
would say, "No, oh, you can guess what I did next." I wasn't sure what you did next, Matt. Peckham. Okay, well, let me let me set the let me set the stage here. <laughs> Probably. All right, so sorry. In, so, ineptly, so but, Luke's. Yeah. Okay. Luke Skywalker has sent via R two D two. You you get your uh, lightsaber. It looks like an actual hilt. Go ahead. So then so then suddenly uh, a an imperial. Uh, what is it? Imperial shuttle. The one of those things that look like tri. They have like three fins. I think it's an imperial shuttle. Matt Peckham, you think I don't know what imperial shuttle is? Please. I've played X-wing. I've played Tie Fighter. I know these. I things. don't know. See, I'm, I'm I'm actually the one grasping for. Is this is that an imperial? I'm asking you. Okay, so no, you're right. Imperial shuttle. Imperial shuttle lands. Yep. So it lands, and out come stormtroopers, and they've got blasters, and you they start shooting at you, and you you see these red sort of laser dashes uh, moving to you, and they're they're not moving as fast as they would in the film, moving, but more slowly. And so you turn around the lightsaber, and then I say in the piece, I say, I, I, I'll bet you can guess exactly what I, what I did next. No, wait, do you just mean, uh, spoiler, but do you just mean you're blocking the, the shots? That's, that's the uh, apparently disappointing, <laughs> I can tell by the sound of your voice, the disappointing thing that oh. you're doing. Yeah, you're just, you're just twisting the, the lightsaber around because they're coming at, you can, okay, I, I, the interesting thing was I think that you see the logic behind why it's not just, they're not just flipping the lightsabers around in the star Wars movie because it looks cool. I mean, I'm sure they're partly doing it for that reason, but you suddenly realize in VR space that there's a quasi gameplay reason for it because the, 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 the lasers are coming at you from all these different angles. You don't have time to just hold your sword out straight and just, you know, move it around left and right. You actually have to twist it and you're twisting it left and right. And then kind of you, it reaches down to grab one that's coming toward your foot and so it all kind of uh, the movie logic lines up with the VR logic, which is kind of sort of interesting. Okay, I didn't. I I kind of figured that's what was coming because you can't again you can't have a, a lightsaber battle because again how do you deal with the issue of when your lightsaber hits Kylo Ren's lightsaber, it's going to stop dead, right. and you can't you you can't render that in VR. No, you can't. Right. That's a that's that's a problem. As is the one the point you made about weight. I mean, unless they somehow right. they, they they do have uh, haptic feedback, right? So. So when you scratch the lightsaber on the ground, I did that. It leaves scorch marks, and then you feel it like it like vibrates in your hand. Like well, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> Matt Peckham, my uh, my ten dollar uh, uh, Xbox 360 controller plugged into my computer here does that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, Tom Chick. Yep, nope, that's a good point. Uh, so you also. Uh, Buried an important lead for me here. Um, Uh-oh. The, Han Solo is voiced by Ross Marquand. Oh, yeah, Walking Dead. Uh, yep. The guy from Walking Dead, who also I think is well-known for his micro-impressions, a, a video on YouTube that he did, I think, for Vanity Fair, GQ, something like that, uh, where he does these quick you know, two- or three-second impressions of celebrities, and it's brilliant. The guy is hilariously funny. I already liked him on Walking Dead, but you would never guess how talented he is doing impressions. So he does Han Solo. How did first of all? How did you know he he does Han Solo? Oh, nope. like did they explain? Hey, we've got Ross Marquand. No, nope, no. Oh, I did. No, I just saw that. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I that was that was sort of like you know the the literature around after the fact, um, what it was that you were seeing in the game. But no, I just uh, so I didn't know it was him until after the fact. But I was. I, I mean, I knew it wasn't Harrison Ford, right? I mean, it didn't sound like a a super spot on. Um, Han Solo impersonation, not that I've ever heard anybody else impersonate Harrison Ford 
Well, no, no, you have. Oh, you, you know how you have. Any Star Wars game you've played, Harrison Ford does not do voice oh, solo. Right, right. Any Star Wars game where Han Solo talks at you, and that's most Star Wars games, I imagine, uh, they're hiring a voice actor to try to sound like Harrison Ford. Do you yeah. think, like the, or, or the Indiana Jones games, do you think, has, has anybody convinced you that they're Han? That Harrison Ford did voice over? Yeah, or like, has anybody done a, done a, a really good impersonation from your stuff? Oh, um, I'm sure, you know, I, I've, I'm pretty easy to trick with impersonations, so I think so. And I could imagine, based on the micro-impressions, I could imagine Ross Marquand could do a, a heck of a Harrison Ford. He does. No, he does. It was, you know, he does a great job. It, it doesn't, well, yeah, I don't want to get into, I don't want to criticize poor Ross Marquand, but um, he, does a, he does a terrific job. But yeah, I only knew about it in, uh, after the fact. I had to read about right, it, right. So. This is one of their selling points, I guess. Hey, and this was cool. But they're yeah. not. They're not sell- This is a demo that I don't. I, I don't believe it. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm almost certain it doesn't come with the with the Vive at launch, and it's just meant. I think it was just meant to sort of um, help Vive uh, or help VR make you know make more of its marketing right. push and and for ILMFX to get some press and some media attention because they do all kinds of other cool things, and here's something else they're doing. And uh, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to turn into a game. I don't know that they've said. Um, maybe, maybe somebody asked him in an interview. I didn't get a chance to talk to him. But I, at this point, it's just a tech demo. It's just meant to sort of, you know, be there to say, hey, you know, look at... Well, you can imagine why, right? Star Wars is big, and so easy selling point. Well, now that it's a Disney property, one thing I can say about Disney and video games is they have never missed an opportunity to screw up a video <laughs> game translation of their properties. <laughs> so, but you've been, we'll you've, been playing, you've been playing, I see you on uh, playing Battlefront a fair amount, or is that not you? Is that some... No, 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 I play, uh, that, so that's, um, uh, yeah, fair enough, that, that's, you know, the, the license has been given to EA. But I'm, I'm sort of being facetious. Previously, this was LucasArts, they did game development, uh, the uh, Marvel stuff, mm-hmm. like, before Disney acquired this stuff, it was established as... Uh, it had made its way into video games effectively. I'm just kind of being facetious about how Disney in the past has tried to make video games of their properties. They've, they've constantly screwed it up. But they've come a long way, by the way. So they can now afford to hire people who know what they're doing. I'm, I'm sure that we will not be screwing up Star Wars or Marvel properties for video games. Then there, yeah. there will be, so. there will be a, a version. I think Sony announced there's going to be a special PlayStation VR version of Battlefront that I'm sure you can't wait to play, Tom Chick. <laughs> I am already playing Battlefront, and I'm perfectly happy with how it works now. Yes. So. Yeah. Well, Matt, I appreciate you uh, talking to us about this, uh, and, and thanks for uh, putting up with my ribbing. Um, uh, you know, I, I, it, I do appreciate that your your optimism is guarded, as it should be, um, and I appreciate you entertaining a curmudgeon like me telling you you're wrong. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, well, Tom Chick, I appreciate, as always, your insight, and I think, it's, I think what you're doing is exactly right. I would encourage anybody else, uh, you know, out there to do what you're doing, and, uh, you know, We'll we'll see we'll see where it goes. It's going to be a really yep. interesting next yeah. couple of years. So, uh, listeners, I encourage you to check out Matt's write-ups on Time.com. You can find uh, more about his hands-on time with VR there, as well as uh, he's done a great job of assembling a bunch of videos. You can you can check out. Uh, join us next week. We will be. Uh, I'm trying to think of how to tease this without running you guys off. This will be. If you hate when we do podcasts about board games. Next week is going to be the podcast about board games you want to hear. So there you go. Join us for that next week. 
I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Matt Peckham, and I'll see everyone in a week. Blinded by the light.